Hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show with me, Alice. Join me as I go delving through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. From tales of pirates and privateers to murderers, tragic accidents to wartime escapades, this podcast has it all. And this episode is no exception, so get ready to give your ears a treat and maybe learn a few things on the way. I'm back in the saddle again Out where a friend is a friend Where the longhorn cattle feed On the lonely jimson weed Back in the saddle again Riding the range once more Toting my old 44 That, my friends, was Gene Autry, nicknamed the Singing Cowboy. He was an American singer, songwriter, actor, musician, rodeo performer and baseball owner. He gained fame largely by singing in a crooning style on radio, in films and on television for more than three decades, beginning in the early 1930s. In the 50s he had his own television show and he's considered the second major influential artist of the country music genre, only beaten by Jimmy Rogers. But his stellar career wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for one Bristolian, Uncle Art Satherley. And here's his story. Uncle Art Satherley was a pioneering record industry executive who helped launch the careers of major country music performers. Not just Gene Autry, but Tex Ritter, Roy Rogers, Bob Wills and many others. He died on Monday 10th of February 1986 at his Fountain Valley home in Orange County, California. He was 96. Known as Mr. Country Music for his contributions to the field, Arthur Edward Satherley also recorded many important early black musicians, such as Ma Rainey and Bessie Smith. Historian and veteran country music disc jockey Hugh Cherry, who knew Satherley for 40 years, said... He recorded everything. Cowboy music, hillbilly, black acts when they were called race records, and novelty groups. He was the first recording director to record in Nashville. Satherley was a minister's son, born in Anchor Cottages, Bedminster, Bristol, on the 19th of October, 1889. He had a boyhood love of cowboys and Indians, and travelled to the US in July 1913, settling in Wisconsin, where he began work for a lumber company in Port Washington. He would later say in an interview with the Tennessean, I became interested in folk music because where I was raised in England, they sang the same type of song. I found the same type of people existed along the eastern seaboard and in the southwest, as lived in England. I was brought up on the farm. I said my prayers on a sheepskin at night on a stone floor under a thatched roof. I have shucked wheat with my hands and oats and barley. I have done much around the farmyard. So you see, I have understood country music from my early childhood days. Word of the Week 
Brace yourselves, my friends, for this week, I give you... Bud Burst. This is a noun that describes the emergence of new leaves on a plant at the beginning of each growing season. An example sentence would be, After Bud Burst, participants continue to observe the tree or flower for later events, such as seed dispersal and autumn leaf drop. Personally, I love spring and looking for signs of life in the garden. After working in the lumber company, Uncle Art was employed in the furniture business for several years, working for the Wisconsin Cabinet and Panel Company, which in 1918 began making phonographs. He also did secretarial work for Thomas Edison. In 1958, he'd later say, Many, many years ago, I was one of Thomas Edison's secretaries. I date back to the Brunswick and Labels, although I was with Columbia for years. His work there involved him in the manufacture of shellac discs, and he eventually became responsible for the marketing of records for the Paramount Company, selling discs by blues singers including Ma Rainey, Blind Lemon Jefferson and Blind Blake, initially at country fairs and other events, and then through advertising in regional newspapers. He said... The greatest blues singer I ever heard was Ma Rainey of Columbus. She taught Mamie Smith and Bessie Smith. The top country singer in my book is the late blind Lemon Jefferson. The genuine great artists come from the rural areas. Uncle Art moved on to become a talent scout in the country music world, being the first person to sign Gene Autry and also playing a major part in the Singing Cowboys movie career. He found Autry trying to be a railroad telegrapher and he wrote the song Here Comes Santa Claus for him. As part of his talent scout work, he would travel around America three times a year, checking out all the latest talent in the country music, western and blues genres. Country music then called mountain or hillbilly music, must have been nearly unknown to the readers of the Saturday Evening Post in 1944. Maurice Solitao, who usually covered Broadway and Hollywood, wrote about this new genre as if he was introducing a strange, incomprehensible new style to Post readers. In Hillbilly Boom, Solitao reports on the efforts of Art Satherley, who scouted country music for Columbia Records. In March of 1942, Satherley was auditioning potential recording artists in a Dallas hotel when he met Albert Poindexter. On that historic morning in March, Satherley, a scholarly and dignified man who spoke with a British accent and looked somewhat like an Oxford professor of Greek history, patiently listened as Poindexter and his companions dreamily strummed and thrummed and twanged their way through their repertoire. Finally, Satherley selected 12 to be recorded. The best of the 12, thought Satherley, was a lilting love song called Rosalita. Another of the 12 was a ballad having to do with a husband who is having a wild time in a nightclub in the company of a blonde when his wife catches him in a rather compromising position. At this, the wife draws a revolver, shoots out the lights and starts beating him around the face. 
Saitherly wasn't impressed with the saga of marital infidelity, but he recorded it because he liked its steady, insistent rhythm. He was otherwise impressed with everything. However, he says that in hillbilly circles, it is very common to hear songs about men and women who are unfaithful to each other and end up shooting it out with guns. To be honest about it, I never dreamed it would be the hit it turned out. We only released it because we needed a contrast to put on the other side of Rosalita. And the song he's talking about is this one. Drinking beer in a cabaret and was I having fun Until one night she caught me right and now I'm on the run Lay that pistol down, babe, lay that pistol down Pistol packing mama, lay that pistol down the song was released in March 1943. Rosalita was promptly forgotten. Instead, millions of Americans began to walk around advising pistol-packing mama to lay her pistol down. By June, it became one of the biggest selling records in the history of American recording, and by December 1943, it had sold 1,600,000 copies, and the manufacturer had orders on hand for 500,000 more, which he couldn't fill because of the wartime shortages of labour and shellac. The hit parade for a long time refused to recognise the existence of Pistol Packing Muller. This was because the opening line went, drinking beer in a cabaret, and the radio networks were not permitted to publicise people who drank beer. This is a ruling of the Federal Communications Commission. The publishers of Pistol Packing Mama took the hit parade to court, and finally the lyric was altered to read, singing songs in a cabaret, and Pistol Packing Mama became number one in the hit parade. Word on the street. And this week, I'm going to take you down Cold Harbour Lane. The ruins of Roman villas were situated in this area and were frequently used by travellers as shelter from the elements. Cold Harbour is often used as a term for such places and quite literally means a harbour from the cold. Satherley resigned from Columbia as Vice President in 1952 and spent a long retirement primarily in Southern California, only doing the occasional production work here and there. He was elected into the Country Music Hall of Fame in 1971, the first British citizen to be honoured, and at the time, Johnny Cash said, If it wasn't for Uncle Art, none of us would be on stage. Uncle Art, we owe you everything. He is the daddy of us all. That was in reference to Satherley discovering many of the American blues and country music artists. In 2011, following many years of campaigning, a blue plaque was unveiled close to his birthplace in Bristol. The ceremony was filmed and formed part of a short documentary broadcast by BBC Television on February 7th, 2011, three days before the 25th anniversary of his death. I'm going to end his story with a few words that Uncle Art said in the late 1970s. I'm the only living man who's been through this business with his hands, running the factories, making the records, 
making the formulas, finding the material, seeing that the pressing is done, selling the records and finding the artists, nearly 50 years at it. And always of no fixed abode, just travelling, finding country people to make these recordings, and now considered the daddy of it all. That's why they call me the daddy of all recordings, country. Country black, country white. Earlier in the story, I mentioned Ma Rainey, and I'll be the first to admit, I'd never heard of her before. But once I delved into her story, I found her an absolutely fascinating character. So here's more about Ma Rainey. Her real name was Gertrude Rainey Nee Pridget, and she was born on the 26th of April 1886 in Columbus, Georgia, to minstrel troopers Thomas Pridget Sr. and Ella Allen Pridget. Rainey worked at the Springer Opera House in the 1900s, performing as a singer and dancer in the local talent show, A Bunch of Blackberries. On February 2nd, 1904, Gertrude married comedy songster William Parr Rainey, builders Ma and Parr Rainey, and the couple toured southern tent shows and cabarets. While performing with the Moses Stokes Troupe in 1912, the Rainies were introduced to the show's newly recruited dancer, Bessie Smith. Eight years Smith senior, Rainey quickly befriended the young performer. They toured with the Rabbitfoot Minstrels around 1915 and later formed their own group, Rainey and Rainey, Assassinators of the Blues, with Tolliver's Circus and Musical Extravaganza. Rainey separated from her husband in 1916 and toured with her own band, Madame Gertrude Ma Rainey and her Georgia Smart Sets, featuring a chorus line and a Cotton Blossoms show and Donald McGregor's Carnival show. Rainey's extensive travelling around America introduced her to many varieties of music, especially blues, which she really loved and worked into her repertoire. Her ability to capture the mood and essence of black, rural, southern life of the 1920s quickly endeared her to throngs of followers throughout the South. With the help of Mayo Inc. Williams, Rainey first recorded for the Paramount label in 1923, only three years after the first blues single was recorded by Mamie Smith. Already a popular singer on the Southern Theatre circuit, Rainey entered the recording industry as an experienced and stylistically mature talent. Her first session, cut with Austin and her blues serenaders, featured the traditional number Bow Weevil Blues. Fellow blues singer Victoria Spivy later said of the recording, Ain't nobody in the world been able to holler, hey Bow Weevil, like her, not like Ma, nobody. In the following five years, Ma Rainey made over a hundred recordings and, with the success of her early recordings, Rainey took part in a Paramount promotional tour that featured a newly assembled backup band. In 1924, pianist and arranger Thomas A. Dorsey recruited members for Rainey's touring band, the Wildcats Jazz Band. Serving as both director and manager, Dorsey assembled able musicians who could read arrangements as well as play in a down-home blues style. Once Rainey started recording music for the Paramount label, 
the record company marketed her extensively under a wild variety of nicknames. Mother of the Blues, Songbird of the South, the Goldneck Woman of the Blues and the Paramount Wildcat. Rainey's tour debut at Chicago's Grand Theatre on State Street marked the first appearance of a down-home blues artist at the famous Southside venue. In 1925, Ma Rainey was arrested in her house in Harlem for having a lesbian party. Her protégé and friend, Bessie Smith, bails her out of jail the following morning. Rainey and Smith were part of an extensive circle of lesbian and bisexual African-American women in Harlem. After her arrest, Ma Rainey recorded Prove It On Me Blues, which teasingly referred to the event on the album cover. It has to be said that the female jazz and blues singers of the Harlem Renaissance lived in a world of sexual ambiguity. While many were married, many also had affairs with other women and presented images of lesbian life and sensibility to the world outside. Bessie Smith, Ma Rainey, Jackie Mabley, Josephine Baker and Ethel Waters were all part of this world. Songs recorded by these singers in the 1920s and 30s made reference to The Life for curious club audiences and blues fans who brought their albums. Ma Rainey's performances were legendary. Draped in long gowns and covered in diamonds with a necklace of gold pieces, Rainey had a powerful command over her audiences. She often opened her stage show singing Moonshine Blues inside the cabinet of an oversized Victrola, which is the type of record player they used to have in the 1920s. And then she'd come out and greet her near frantic audience with a mouthful of gold teeth, richly dark skin and flashy jewelry dangling about her. Rainey cast a striking figure with a ruggedly powerful voice and a lavish stage presence to match. When she started singing, the gold in her teeth would sparkle said the pianist and composer Thomas A. Dorsey in his unpublished memoirs. She was in the spotlight. She possessed listeners. They swayed, they rocked, they moaned and groaned as they felt the blues with her. Although the Toba and vaudeville circuits had gone into decline in the early 1930s, Rainey still performed, often resorting to playing show tents. Following the death of her mother and sister, Rainey retired from the music business in 1935 and settled in Columbus. For the next several years, she devoted her time to the ownership of two entertainment venues, the Lyric Theatre and the Air Dome, as well as activities in the Friendship Baptist Church. Rainey died in Rome, Georgia, on December 22, 1939, of a heart attack aged 53. It's interesting to note that Rainey's dual identities as a black and bisexual woman made her a marginalised figure at the time, 
though her lyrics were groundbreaking in their celebration of this particular identity. She was largely ignored by history in favour of her contemporaries, Bessie Smith and Mamie Smith, even though she was hugely influential in their careers. COVID-19 particles gather in the air like smoke. In enclosed spaces, these particles can build up over time, so it's harder to avoid breathing it in. So if you have any COVID-19 symptoms, however mild, take a PCR test immediately. And always stay home if the test is positive, so you don't breathe COVID-19 onto others. Stop COVID-19 hanging around. today, a man from Bristol told Boffins that it's a five-minute walk from his house to the bar, but a 45-minute walk from the bar to his house. He explained that the difference is staggering. Back in the day facts. So let's start off with the 22nd of January, 1901, where after 63 years, Britain stops the sale of the Queen Victoria postage stamp series and begins Edward VII series. 23rd of January, 1976, RCA Records releases Station to Station, David Barry's 10th studio album, recorded in Los Angeles, it peaks in the US charts at number three and number five in the UK. On the 24th of Jan, 1908, Lieutenant General Robert Baden-Powell, a soldier, artist and writer, publishes Scouting for Boys as a manual for self-instruction in outdoor skills and self-improvement. The book becomes the inspiration for the scout movement. And on the 1st of August 1907, 20 boys gathered to join the first experimental scout camp at Brownsea Island, near Poole in Dorset. In bringing young people from different backgrounds together, he hoped to bridge gaps in society and give everyone the opportunity to learn new skills. It was a radical idea at the time, but it paved the way for what was to come. On the 25th of January 1839, Henry Fox Talbot, Known for inventing an early photographic developing technique, the calotype process, in 1841, exhibits early photographs to the Royal Institution in the UK. In 1844-46, Talbot publishes The Pencil of Nature, the first, commercially published <coughs> the first commercially published book to be illustrated with photographs. The Scouts played a key role on the home front, in both world wars, carrying messages, bringing in the harvest, and even directing the fire crews throughout the Blitz. And so that's the end of the show for this week. But don't worry, I'll be here same time, same place next week. But before I go, I'd like to say a huge thank you to those that brought the story to life. And this week, you heard the vocal talents 
of Steve Shepherd from Bradley Stoke Radio, Russ from the Infectious Groove podcast, Garrett Oddle from the Ever Trending Story podcast, and Nikki from Dear Nikki podcast. You have been listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. Now, this podcast has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. If you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. If you didn't, well, let's just leave it at that, shall we? I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or, alternatively, you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk. By the way, the tune in the background, that's by The Model Folk. You can find out more about them at themodelfolk.com. So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. <laughs>